out to get a job, not gonna rob a bank, not gonna win the lottery. My name is Jacob Schatz. It's Saturday, January 7th, 2017, and I still don't have a real job. I took the time to make an outline for today's episode that was just like any other, and I tried a couple times to record it, and it didn't work. And I realized that that's because I had seen Rogue One on Thursday, and all I want to talk about today is Rogue One, a Star Wars story. So I'm going to cut out the middleman here and just call this a new type of Shots Fired episode called Long Shots, and I'm just going to talk about Rogue One for the duration of this episode. I apologize if you're not a Star Wars fan, but this movie meant a lot of things to me and got me thinking in a lot of different ways, so I need to just sort of pick that apart on air for a while. If you are a Star Wars fan and haven't seen Rogue One yet, this is going to be a spoiler-free review, so don't worry about that. I'm just going to be looking at the work as a whole, as opposed to talking about any of the actual narrative elements that are in place. To start off, I want to say that Rogue One is a very strange type of movie, but it's less strange after we've seen Episode 7. Episode 7, The Force Awakens, is the kind of movie that can't exist in any other franchise but Star Wars. Obviously, sequels really only have resonance with the original work. They can't exist outside of it, unless they're really, really good at just filmmaking and storytelling. But Episode 7 seems to be the kind of movie that can't exist in any other franchise. It needs the long-term resonance and the very specific emotional impact that only exists in something like Star Wars. Tiny moments that only have weight because of the particular heroes, villains, family that exists in the Star Wars universe. Rogue One is a lot like that in the sense that if you're not a Star Wars fan or if you haven't seen the Star Wars movies, a lot of this movie is just not going to land for you. You're going to be asking way too many questions. Simple actions that define the plot of the movie are just going to mean nothing to you. And that's not on the fault of the filmmakers. They do everything in their power to bring back elements from Episode 4 and explain them generically. The Death Star's weapon is a planet killer. And that's enough that you get the idea that the stakes are high. But when I say that this kind of movie can't exist without being in the Star Wars franchise, not just being part of a franchise, but being part of Star Wars, I really mean in how the characters are treated, or I guess how they're not. The protagonists of this film are not the heroes of the Star Wars universe. And the plot of this movie and the way that they interact with other characters makes this very, very apparent. The protagonists, as members of the Rebel Alliance and associated hangers-on, struggle so much to get anything done in this movie. They take heavy losses, they have to work really hard to get things done, and they have to work with each other. It's not just a scrappy band of ragtags goes in and does everything with one ship. They have to work with everyone else that they find in the galaxy. And they can't just saunter into a room, claim that they're the heroes, and then have stuff magically happen for them. They make deals, they call on favors, they do groundwork in order to get anything done. And for a lot of this movie, the heroes of this movie, the protagonists, are totally impotent in the face of what they're up against. If the original Star Wars trilogy teaches you that if you have enough heart, and if you make a lot of really lucky calls, 
then you can take down an empire. This movie says, well, yeah, that's all well and good, but we had to put in the work first. And when I say that the protagonists of this movie are not the heroes of the Star Wars universe, I don't mean that they're nasty or that they don't do heroic things. They do. There are some great big moments where people make self-sacrifices and do the things that heroes would be typically expected to do in a movie. What I mean is that the story doesn't treat them like heroes. They don't get things for granted. These are not people who have a destiny in the Star Wars universe like the Skywalker family and its affiliates have in the mainline Star Wars movies. There are no chosen ones here. There are people who step up and get their hands dirty for the sake of the rebellion. Similarly, the main antagonist of this movie, director Krennic, who is in charge of organizing the Death Star project, is just as impotent as our protagonists are. Director Krennic is a cog in the Imperial machine, and the movie uses legacy Imperial characters, characters that we know from the mainline movies, to prove that he is completely expendable in the face of the Empire. He's at the whims of his superiors, much like the protagonists are. The protagonists have to suck up to other people in order to get stuff done, but so does the antagonist. And it's the combined frustration of both of them grinding up against things that are obviously bigger than they are that gives a lot of emotional weight to the actions of both sides of this conflict. Director Krennic is a fascist. He's not really sympathetic in his political motivations or his overarching designs in the scope of the Star Wars universe, but as a person, you can feel his frustration. The villains in the Star Wars universe don't have frustration more often than not. They have annoyance, but annoyance is something where you have the power to overcome this, and yet something is getting in your way. Krennic's frustration is that he is powerless, which is a completely different take from how any other Star Wars villain has operated. If you look back at the Sith Lords, they're all about having and consolidating power. Darth Vader is a living weapon and exerts his power whenever he gets the chance. The Emperor pulls at strings across the galaxy and organizes power to funnel it into himself. Even the more mundane villains like Grand Moff Tarkin are still in complete control of a battle station that can destroy worlds, and they're dismissive of any threats to this power. Krennic can have his power taken away by his superiors at any moment, and his emotional outbursts are based solely in that fact. In this way, the main conflict in this movie is not an evil empire against the rebellion. It's about individual people in both factions who have very specific and personal motivations against each other. I'll say that this movie is so much about the ground level of the Star Wars universe. And I mean that with the protagonists and antagonists. Obviously, they're a lot lower than the characters that we usually see featured in Star Wars movies. But also just the little details in depicting both sides of this conflict. My dad actually remarked when we were talking about the movie afterwards that this is the first time that we see stormtroopers, Imperial stormtroopers, with dirt on their armor. The rebellion takes place on a lot of rural Outer Rim planets. And in all of the mainline Star Wars movies, the troopers don't really get their armor dirty. They're working in urban environments or on installations. Even on Endor, where you're traipsing through a forest moon, they're completely clean until they get smashed by a tree or something. This movie does a very good job of not making the foe's ideology sympathetic, but in showing how the war affects people on the ground on both sides. I also want to say that there's been a lot of hot takes on this movie where... Oh, Rogue One shows the war part of Star Wars. Or, oh, Rogue One shows how both sides in a conflict can be messy and evil. And 
I don't think I quite agree with either of those. First off, every Star Wars movie is about a war in one form or another. Even the prequels were about the Clone Wars. The difference in what Rogue One is doing for the war story is that we're not focusing on the single figures in the idealized version of a war story. A lot of our histories put wars in terms of the generals that are fighting, and Star Wars kind of follows suit by putting wars in the context of the heroes that are leading the charge and the villains that are providing the opposition. Rogue One makes the conflict between the Rebellion and the Empire more complex, but at no point does it say that the Rebellion might be in the wrong, and at no point does it say that the Empire might be in the right for what it's doing. Which is good, because that would be ridiculous. The Empire is full of fascists and proto-Nazis. So, yes, they are in the wrong. <laughs> Alright, the real last thing that I will say about this movie is that it uses its own mythology to great effect. Whether it's in-universe mythology of the Jedi to put into context some of the other characters' actions and motivations, or the character mythology, where we're bringing back characters from Episode Four to contextualize the efforts of characters from this movie. They make a CGI Peter Cushing look-alike for Grand Moff Tarkin as a character that shows up in this movie, and I can go back and forth on that. I don't think that it was necessary to do, but I also don't think it hurt the movie that much. But to include Tarkin as a character was an extremely good choice because of the impact that it had on director Krennic's character. And to have Mon Mothma, Jan Dodonna, and Bail Organa in on the Rebellion side, to contrast with some of the protagonists' skills and abilities as part of the Rebel Alliance, was also a very good choice. This movie used what I knew about Star Wars to shock me. I knew how this movie was going to end, technically. I knew where we were going to end up, by the end of this movie. And yet, so many moments were crafted that left me gasping or terrified or really caring about these characters that I only knew through this movie. It doesn't take the fact that you know how this is going to end and then just rest on its laurels and say, oh, well, we don't have to make any suspense. We don't have to build any drama. It does it. It doesn't make it cheap. It makes it really worthwhile and meaty, and this is a movie that I'm probably going to come back to again and again to watch. It's not a Star Wars movie. It's a Star Wars story. And it takes that idea and runs with it. And if I see more Star Wars stories, if they make more Star Wars stories like this one, I'm going to be extremely happy. So that's all I have to say about Rogue One. Thanks for listening to this. This is a bit of a different format, it doesn't have my usual segments, but this was something that I cared deeply about, so let me know if you want to hear me do more long shots like this one. If you want to give feedback or listen to more episodes of Shots Fired, you can go to opalnebula.com, and if you want to keep up with me, you can find me on Twitter as at Frogger, spelled P-H-R-A-W-G-E-R. Shots Fired's theme song is Aged, A-G-E-D, written by Rand Belavia and Adam English, and performed by Ukla the Mock. It's off of the album Less Than Art. I can't thank these guys enough for letting me use their song as the theme song for Shots Fired. Please go check out their music if you haven't already. It's some really, really good stuff. Thanks for listening, everybody, and I will see you next Tuesday. Tuesday.